Hello, everyone. Hi, and welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, shoot. Okay, so last week we started looking at uh, the book of 1 Samuel, but more specifically um, looking at the, the person of Samuel. And uh, today we continue in that study, and today we're going to put more of a focus on on Samuel's walk, on his heart, what we can see about his character. And, uh, and so to do that, let's start with a piece of scripture. Last um, week we, we ended off with um, God calling Samuel. Yeah. And so we spoke about the fact that God doesn't introduce himself to Samuel. He doesn't speak edifying words to Samuel. God just starts speaking to him about his judgment, about his will. And so, it's very significant. And now, um, we're going to get back to that just now. But we, part of the study is we want to understand Samuel as a, as a message, as an image, what we can learn from him. And we want to explore the hidden prophetic messages mm -hmm. in 1 and 2 Samuel. Okay, so where are we going now? Okay, so we're, we're going to pick it up again in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But first, um, we're going to read a verse or two from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this is where Samuel is sent to go anoint King David as king, or one of the sons of Jesse as king. And, uh, and we know that God sends him to Bethlehem to go do this because that's where they live. But here's an interesting piece of, of scripture, verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Okay, so what we want to lift out is that this is the kind of man that Samuel becomes along his walk. He becomes the kind of man where when he's on his way to a town or to a city, the people are nervous about the fact that he's coming. Why is he coming? What is he, what is he coming to do? Which is interesting because he's not, he's not a loose cannon kind of man. He's not someone who calls fire down from heaven. He's not someone who just, you know, whips out the sword and does stuff. Um, so we're going to look a bit more at his attitude specifically towards the nation of Israel. But this is the kind of authority that he carries and that he walks with. Is where, when he's on his way to a place, the people actually fear his coming. They need to know why he's, why he's on his way because this, this might be bad news. <laughs> this might be a reason to be nervous. When the Israelites come to him to ask for a king. Mm. Now, this is already long ago at this point because Saul is already, has, been made king. has been made king. Then it says that he was already old. Yeah. Yeah, he's already old. People say to him, you're too old to be our leader. And this is much later. So yeah. he's coming down the road. If he was already too old to be their leader, <laughs> yes, they were used to old people leading yes. them, right? 
He's coming down the road, and the elders of the town comes in. They started trembling. Yes. Now, this is not just, okay, we, we hope there's no trouble coming. No, They're trembling. this is fear. <laughs> so this is um, it's just important to understand the man that he becomes. The man that he becomes. And he's not calling, okay, he did one significant thing with the storm, but he's not calling a bear out of the woods and stuff like that. I mean, the the storm incident is significant, mm. but yeah, it, yeah, it didn't do yeah. them harm. No, yeah. No. So, so it's just a good picture of, of who this man is. Um, and it's not even that they're scared because he's connected to King Saul. Yes. Because he's saying to the Lord, we can maybe read yeah. it, he's saying to the Lord, what if Saul finds out? Yeah, he says, how can I go? Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is verse 2. So he, even, he's even a little bit undercover. Um, Which might be part of the explanation about why the people are nervous, because they know that he follows a certain route mm. every year. This is out of the ordinary. It's just showing up in their city. Why? Why? <laughs> why why are you coming here? <laughs> no, I think we can go back to the original place we ended off last week, and maybe this will shed light on their yeah. attitude. So they're just minding their own business and the, this guy, Samuel, comes walking down the road. He's not supposed to even be there. Uh, why is he here? It's not been announced. It's not mm. been organized. Mm. Okay, so he's bringing the hypha. Okay. Um, and I think this is why their response is like this because this is what happens when God calls him at first. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And this is where we left the story last week with the call. And like you said, when God calls him in the night, he calls his name, but then there's no edifying words of love towards Samuel. God reveals immediately his judgment in injustice and, and righteousness towards Samuel. And that's, this is the first in, introduction that Samuel has to God, to the character of God and to, to the ways of God, the person of God. But so now, let's take into account um, the following, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read from verse 11 again, so we can all just catch up on the story and then just see how it goes. So, from verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now let's just take a moment and pause and just reiterate. Last week we said it's very important to, to notice here, to take note of the fact that God does not give him instruction. God does not give him a word to go give to Eli. God just hands him information, hands him information of his judgment. <clears throat> 
now, um, also remember that in chapter 2, God actually already sends a prophet to Eli to come and prophesy uh, to Eli that his house will not continue. So this isn't, this isn't a new prophecy or a new word that God is giving to Samuel. He's just giving him information that has already been revealed to Eli, that has already been prophesied. Now let's continue from there, verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Okay, let's backtrack quickly, just before, because this is that kind of moment where He's afraid to tell him, what is God saying? Why is God saying, I'm going to perform something in Israel that anybody that hears about this, both their ears will tingle. Mm. So when does a person's ears tingle? What's tingling? It's when you're embarrassed. You mm. are embarrassed. That's when it happens. <laughs> it's embarrassment that causes that. It's very significant... Um, defined response I can't think of any other time that your ears does that mm -hmm. it's when you're highly embarrassed when the blood does that thing that's when it happens so he's saying that anybody that hears about this is going to be, feel embarrassment mm -hmm. so the judgment on Eli's house will affect the entire house of Israel mm -hmm. what is the symbol um, the standard in, in the, their time, their day, the standard of holiness, obedience, servitude towards God. Remember that the, the Levites represents the entire nation. The Levites, uh, God um, puts aside for himself instead of every firstborn of every house. Mm. The disgrace of the Levitical house is the disgrace of every house. True. They represent every firstborn. The pride, the future, the inheritance of every bloodline, every house uh, lies on the shoulders of the firstborn. Mm. So this literally represents a picture of um, the entire nation's failure. Wow. Uh, the entire nation's dishonor. This is different from other times when God rebukes them, warns them for their inequity, for their mm. idol worship. Um, God uses a very significant uh, term here. Yes. He's saying that this isn't just about judgment. It's not about the wrath of God. It's about they are dishonored. Mm. Maybe, maybe it would help to read just a part of the initial prophecy yes. that, that, that God brings to them. Okay, so this is in chapter 2. Um, let's, let's read the whole thing. So I'll read from verse 27 in chapter 2. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, 
to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God has done for Israel, or does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. Hmm. Okay. So, who is he talking about? Who is God talking about? So firstly, um, when he speaks about it, he revealed himself. To his father in Egypt. Now he's speaking about Aaron. Yes. Okay. So this goes all the way back there. And it's significant that God is saying that God revealed himself to Aaron. Yes. Uh, that is a lineage and and inheritance that should have been part of the, the priesthood. Mm. The inheritance of the priesthood. Yeah. Mm. To have a revelation of God. They mm. are going to go into the Holy of Holies and they are going to be in the presence of the holiness of God. Yes. And um, then he's speaking about the double portion, and now he's directly speaking to the one of the sons of Aaron, speaking about him. So when he's speaking about, so he's firstly speaking about in the land of Egypt, the Aaron himself. Then he's going to now proclaim judgment over this specific bloodline. Mm. So not all Aaron's yeah, house is going Aaron's. to be cut yeah, off. But this, and so this is important to read that into that because later on yes. uh, Aaron's lineage, lineage is still going to be, be continue yes. to be a high priest. Yes. So maybe if we just, for now, just look at this, this part of what's happening, of what God is doing um, at this stage of, of the story of biblical history... Um, so first of all, he sends the prophet to Eli to, to prophesy, to make his will known, his plan and his intentions known. Mm. Then he's going to confirm what he has already said. He's going to confirm this with Samuel. Mm. So the judgment is already spoken. The judgment's already spoken out. Eli already knows it's coming. But now he's going to, God is going to confirm so this, so the the information that God um, imparts to Samuel is, serves as 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 witness. Now there are two witnesses to to what's going to happen. We see this also in in Eli's attitude to what happens. So um, if we just read this, it says verse sixteen of chapter three. Then Eli called Samuel and said, "Samuel, my son," he answered, "Here I am." And he said, 
What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, and I think this is significant. Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Which I think is a, is a significant response for the position that he's, he's in here. Mm. Um, it, it's devastating news. God has literally just confirmed to him that judgment is coming. His line is going to be wiped out. They will no longer be allowed to serve. Mm. And, and this, is, this is his response. Um, <clears throat> it, look, for, in the Jewish mindset and the culture, the having uh, an inheritance, having a lineage, that is everything. Exactly. That represents God's blessing, it represents hope, it represents everything. Yes. So everything that Eli had done in his life goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, and, um, and he, what's also, I think, speaks something about the, the, the little bit of uh, integrity that Eli had, mm. was the fact that he, he asks for, for the judgment. Yes. He says, Samuel, tell me everything. I want to know. He's not avoiding it. No. He, and I mean, it's not, uh, it's not necessarily that he knew that this was what Samuel was going to say. But no. I think the, the humility that he shows and that when the boy that he, he's teaching him how to serve in the tabernacle, this boy witnesses to something that has already been said to him. He doesn't discard it. He doesn't look down on it just because it, from whom it's coming. He acknowledges it for what it is, mm. accepts mm. it, mm. you know, and and goes from there. Yeah, but the, the humble attitude is Definitely. willing, even in his his disobedience, he's got every reason to now uh, rebel against God. I mean, it's not the God yeah, says he's already nothing been you written do, off. Nothing you do now is going to. He basically sees, says that there's no atonement. Yes. So if this means that there's no salvation, if anybody then had probably scope to rail against God, it would be Eli. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. And then we see that even his attitude towards you know him dying when he realizes the ark of God has been taken, there's still a, a sense of loyalty and faithfulness. Mm. You know, in what he can master, what he can give. Um, but the, but the, so there's a heart, there's an attitude that we do see. But what about Samuel's? What's what's what do we learn about Samuel in this? So, um, the first thing I think to to when we combine now what's happening to both Eli and Samuel here is first of all. Um, is it's not like the next day Eli sits on the chair and the Ark of Covenant is taken and he falls over yeah. and he dies. There's a, it's not an immediate a judgment that plays out immediately. Yeah. It plays out over time. And now both Eli and Samuel have to live for, and we, we're not sure how long, but they both have to live with the knowledge of this is the course that Eli's life and, and his lineage is going to take. Yeah. And Samuel has to... To now see the word of the Lord actually playing out. Um, 
witnessing to the fact that God is going to hold to his word. He's going to do what he has said he would do. Um, and I think at this stage, it's maybe just a, an interesting place to to bring in a piece of information about how this actually plays out in the end. Um, so, so this whole um, chain of events doesn't actually just happen immediately. So we know that Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, die soon after in the flower of their age. But then the place where this actually takes on full effect is with King Solomon. And this is in the book of 1 Kings, fairly early on, because um, I'm not going to read all of it, but I will give some context. So what happens is, when King David gets very old and he's near to death, um, his one son, King David's one son, Adonijah, um, decides he's going to be king. He will take the throne of his father. And we know that this is not according to what was promised. This is not according to the will of God that he has made known. Um, because we know that Solomon is supposed to become king. Now, interesting enough, uh, when this son of King David decides he's going to become king, he knows that he needs a commander of the army, so Joab, um, who was who was part of King David's mighty men. He's So he takes Joab, and with him he takes Abiathar the priest. And Abiathar the priest, interestingly enough, comes from the line of Eli. And he's still serving as high priest when King David is near death, when Solomon now has to become king. So he's still high priest, and he sides with this son of David who decides he's going to take the throne of his father. But then um, the prophet Nathan finds out about what's happening, and he interjects because he knows what, 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 how this needs to play out. The will of God. The will of God. So then the prophet Nathan, remember, goes to Bathsheba. Bathsheba goes to King David and says, well, now there's another one of your sons, but you've promised the, son to my, the, the kingdom to my son Solomon. And so the prophet Nathan gets together with him the, the priest Zadok. And then also one of the other mighty men of, of King David. And so these three men ride with King Solomon and go anoint him officially as king before the other son of King David has the chance to do so. But interestingly enough, so Zadok, the priest that, that goes with the prophet Nathan to, to um, ensure that Solomon becomes king according to the will of God, he is actually from the line of Eleazar who was um, the oldest of the two remaining sons of Aaron. So there was uh, Eleazar and Ithamar. Eli comes from the line of Ithamar. And uh, Abiathar, the priest, uh, comes from the line of Eli. But then Zadok comes from the line of Eleazar. And then I'll just read uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 from verse 26. Because remember, after Solomon becomes king and after King David dies, uh, King Solomon takes out a number of the enemies to, to bring peace into the kingdom. And from verse 26, And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So there we see the actual fulfillment where the, where the lineage of the high priesthood, if you will, goes back to the line of Eleazar. And this is kind of where the Lord then 
you know, brings, this is where the, the word comes to fulfillment. So that's, mm. it seems like a bit of a side piece of information, but I think it's just, mm. it is quite significant in the study to, to mention this, the way it plays out. It's big because out of this, we can see that it was God's will and his doing. He, he promises to Eli's forefather mm. that they are going to be the, the high priest lineage. God says they, they were supposed to be the high priest lineage forever. This was God's will. Mm. And um, we can learn out of this that even if God did tell this to them, promised this to them, it was God's intention, it was His will, because they didn't obey God and didn't honor God. Here, God takes it away from the entire lineage, the entire house. And we're not quite clear why it passed to the, the yeah, youngest to the son younger originally. But now God is giving the, uh, uh, the inheritance of the Levite, the high priestly role, back to the oldest son again. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do look at the prophetic unfolding, we'll get back we'll to get this back point to again. But it means that uh, it looks like... Um, what we can see here is that God's mighty hand is um, taking and giving away. And um, this um, is uh, something to, to pay attention to. Mm. Now, let's get back to Samuel yeah. that has to go and... Um, tell Eli the vision. Tell Eli what happened. So, <clears throat> let's pick it up again at, at verse 15 in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. It says, So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. I think this is a great understatement for what's happening here. Mm. So let's just take a few things into account. Samuel, from the moment he's weaned, is is given to Eli. Mm. So in actual fact, if we look at, 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 at Samuel's upbringing, he's somewhat of an orphan. He sees his, his birth parents once a year. Mm. Fair enough, they don't just dump him or leave him but he but once a year once a year for a boy growing up that they they're basically mm. strangers to him mm. so this man eli has brought him up which means that eli is basically the closest thing he knows to a father mm. and we even see that eli addresses him as my son mm. a few times um, we know that eli already has has this reality of that he's He's failed as a father, basically, to his first two sons. Mm. Now he has this boy that he's bringing up in the ways of God. God actually speaks to this boy. And and we see that they have a certain level of a relationship. And when Eli comes to Samuel and says, tell me the vision, Samuel has no inkling to hide anything from Eli. He's going to to tell him everything. Mm. But this must be one of the hardest things for a, a boy to do. Um, if we just look at, at the reality, taking, taking none of the other factors into account yet, what God has revealed to, to Samuel is that he's going to judge and end the line of the man that he knows as his father. Now, we don't even know how much of this he understands at this exactly. point, because he's just a boy he's that a boy. gets a little piece of information from God, and, and now he's going to tell it to, to uh, Eli. Do you understand that his mother has 
given him to this temple, devoted and lend him to God. This is not only what he knows, not only the place where he lives, and, and, and Eli is not just a guardian figure. This is also his future. This is it. This is what he's been given to. Um, this is his life. So what's going to happen to him? If this, if God is judging these people and they're all going to die, what's to become of him? I mean, there's a the huge impact on, on this boy. Definitely. Very early on, first steps, he's going to face all kinds of temptations. So this is Samuel's first introduction to God. Now, in, in all fairness, this had happened to anyone else. So let's, just a reminder, Samuel is not a Levite, so it's not like he's bound to serve in the tabernacle. We know that his mother did give him as a promise, but in all fairness, if this had happened to to anyone else, no one would have judged him or thought the worst of him if he decided, listen, this was great, but thank you. Mm. I've had enough. This is not the God I want to serve. And yet we see that this is not even closely what he does. He, I mean, he could have assumed that Eli is dying, someone is going to die, someone else is going to come take over the tabernacle, priesthood. It's like a hostile takeover. <laughs> um, I mean, should I quit my job? Should I leave? Should I for quit while I'm ahead? Has my whole future changed? Is, um, is my future in danger? Um, I mean, it's all great and well. I was. Uh, Eli knew what was happening. The new person's not going to know who I am. Yeah. He's not going to know why I'm here. Yeah, I'm not he, even from the bl- right bloodline. What the <laughs> There's heck no am I reason doing for them here? To keep me, yeah. uh, funny enough, it doesn't work that way in the story because he he just carries on. He's established from this moment on as as a prophet of the Lord. As a prophet of the Lord, it's interesting because it doesn't really talk about the other guy's attitude or not why they is accepted. It's just God's will. And I mean, what 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 is said after this is so profound because it goes on verse 18 and says then Samuel told him everything okay and he said it is the Lord let him do what seems good to him then verse 19 so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground and Mm. all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord and the word of Samuel came to all Israel so Samuel, like in one chapter, we don't see that he squirms away at all. He doesn't, doesn't frighten him enough to, to, to leave the path that is set out for him. So what is that? And so what is the thing that causes him to serve God even after this introduction, even after what God asks of him? Now we've done, we've been doing this discipleship code of, of Peter and and we've during during that series we've placed such emphasis on, on virtue and um, and this what we see Samuel's attitude and continuing this the closest thing we have for this would be would be virtue. You see, we know, we know who he becomes in the future. He knows who he's supposed to be in the future. But the response, the thing that enables him to respond the way he does, to continue on this road that's been set out for him, this is, 
This isn't just a virtue response. This is a response from the person that he is going to be in the future, the person that he is in eternity. This is that, that predestination, the call, the, the, the seed of God, the person that he is in eternity. This is that, that person responding in righteousness, in virtue. It's not just that he's responding in virtue. It's the virtue that is in him that is enabling him to respond the way he does, to walk out this road. Mm. that is set before him. And it's interesting that then it says God reveals, or Yahweh reveals himself by his word to Samuel. Now, let's go a little bit back. So when God's going to speak to Samuel, it says that God came and stood. Mm-hmm. Now, in what uh, way? According to God, Yahweh's manifestation, does he ever come and stand as Yahweh or as the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit comes down on Yahushua but wherever we see this it is the word Yahushua that interacts with man and so here we have small little hints to something that is going to be defining yes so the word of God had not been widespread, it had not yet been revealed to Samuel, the word of God. And this is not, because remember, again there's the spiritual side of God speaking, but please keep in mind that it's not that Samuel doesn't have exposure. Mm. He's, he's as close as anybody's going to get. He's in the tabernacle. Eli would have been definitely uh, teaching him Torah. There's no way that Eli would have not done that. Mm. So, so he's there. So f- this, is, this is a significant piece of information. And so, yeah, just, just mentioned so very uh, almost... In brackets, as an afterthought. <laughs> God reveals himself through his word. And um, we know that Yahushua is the word according to John... And so it's confirmed. And so this is the significant interaction behind this. He doesn't just become a prophet. God is now revealing himself as the word. And in his word to him, God came and stood and spoke his eternal will to um, Samuel. And Samuel's response out of virtue, out of that godliness Mm. that the seed carries, because he responds right. From that moment on, not a single one of his words fall to the ground. And he's established, he walks with God, and yet, the sad thing is that Mm. the story uh, line comes together in a very sad way. Mm. That when Samuel is old, Mm. the people come to him and say, you have now, you're now too old to be our leader and it says that he had appointed his two sons read it for us this is in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel from verse 1 it says now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel now we're going to skip verse 2 verse 3 but his sons did not walk in his ways they turned aside after dishonest gain took bribes and perverted justice then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. 
sad storyline. He used to, as a son, as a little boy, he has to go to Eli and tell him, because you did not honor the things of God and raise your sons in the way that you should have, and you did not take action. You, uh, God is judging you, and um, but it, it's significant because of the, the the predestination, because of destiny. Um, God doesn't bring the same judgment down mm. on Samuel. Mm. This is a very important way for us to learn what God's judgment and God's uh, ways are, especially as it pertains to covenant. Definitely. Two people can do the same works of righteousness, do the same things right. Because of covenant, God is not under any... Obligation. Obligation. Thanks. To respond to those two men in the same way. So God's covenant promises, His blessings and His curses, very important to understand. That is from God's side saying that if you do walk in the righteousness and keep all my ways, I have the uh, legal right to bless you. Mm. And if you do not walk in my ways, I have the legal right for my curses to come upon you. Doesn't mean that God now has to do it mm. in a specific way. God retains the right to bless or bless abundantly. Mm. God retains the right to judge or bring down His wrath or, or not. Mm. Specifically, ultimately, in judgment... Um, the ultimate judgment that's determined. But in God responding to man on earth, Samuel does exactly, makes exactly the same mistake as Eli. Now there might be a lot of factors at yeah. play here, but, but Samuel, Samuel gets to serve God till the day he dies. Yes. Samuel's authority remains the same. And yet, um, his sons are also rejected, but God doesn't respond in the same way. And this mm -hmm. is very important. It's important in our day and time in understanding God's ways and mm -hmm. work. Why do we see one person called mm -hmm. specifically by God, used by God in a certain way, um, one person making mistakes and doing things in a way that we consider he shouldn't be doing it, mm. and yet God's favor remains upon him. Mm -hmm. And another person seems to not be considered by God, not really exceptionally used or blessed by God. Why? Mm. And then uh, the same with the curses and, and judgment and, and, and God's wrath and, and consequences. It remains God's prerogative. Yes. He's God. And through covenant, He tells us there's the first level of, of outcome. If you do certain things, there will surely be curses. But God decides how severe yes. or how extravagant His responses are going to be. It's very important. We see this over and over. Uh, King David. So King Saul mm. did not okay. honor or obey the word of God. 
It's very important we're going to see that that's specifically what it says. He did certain things wrong, he did a few things wrong, there were a few things right, but God's response to him is severe. He rejects him. And the same thing, his, his bloodline is taken out. Exactly. Jonathan, Jonathan, on the other hand, in this same storyline, he's, um, he's presented as somewhat of a perf- perfect figure. Yeah, it's an unfortunate loss. So King Saul is... It's really tragic. Um, raised from nothingness by God, from a low position, God chooses him, exalts him. And then sovereignly, because this is what God decides to do, he brings him low. It says that God's will was that he would um, liberate the Israelites from the Philistines, Philistines, that uh, he would defeat, he was supposed to defeat the Philistines, and, and set the Israelites free from them, and it doesn't. God expresses His will, but it doesn't happen. Yeah. He doesn't set them free. I think He does it like once, but not yeah. in its entirety. And, and God shows His favor. I mean, He, he exalts Jonathan in wisdom, in authority, yes. in righteousness, but He still allows him to, be, mm-hmm. to suffer a death by the hands of of the Philistines, and, and that's the end of the story. Although it seems like Jonathan does everything right. Mm. Um, so it's not that by virtue of Jonath- Jonathan's righteous acts, he deserves mm. a, a great favorable response from God. He doesn't mm. deserve a reward. He doesn't get a reward. Mm. God doesn't reward his faithfulness. Well, not on this earth. Anyway. Not on this earth. <laughs> Yeah. But but it's very important to understand. Mm. And King David does lie. Yes. Tells he lies. Because he's, he's scared. A man. <laughs> so, but, but, a man but, but because of fear, he, he tells lies. He does, basically does similar things to what Saul did. Yeah. Um, but because of predestination, because of God's perfect will, because of who he is in God's heart, and I believe... Because of the basic motivations of his heart. So yes. he does make mistakes. But his heart is yes. after God. His heart is to love God. His heart yeah. is to obey God actively. Yes. When and it comes God. down to it, that's the motivation. The ruling motivation in the that's heart. That's right. Yeah. So God does elevate both of them, Saul and, and David, from a lowly state to being kings. Um, King Saul, he just... Um, his attitude is somehow different. He, 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 even after God says to him that he has rejected him, Saul doesn't lay down his crown. No. no. That's actually what one would expect. is more Because that's the attitude that Eli takes. Yeah. It's one of, okay. if that is what the Lord has decided, then that is what, is, what it is. That's I'm happy right. with that. Let's, let's do it that way. The king Saul doesn't have that kind of attitude. We see the same attitude with Samuel when um, when they said they want the king. Maybe we can look at that. Do you think let's we can look at definitely, that Definitely, let's look at that. The attitude this of is... the heart. So Saul, God very clearly says to Saul, I've rejected you. And what leaves him, Saul, we did say that the name Yahweh, the covenantal name of God, is not used in relation to Saul. But when the only time it's really used is when uh, it says that the spirit of Yahweh left him. Mm. 
So what God takes from him is not only his spirit, but he takes from him covenant. Wow. Um, uh, but his attitude is he was, he's going to do his thing. He's going to fill his position, keep his, the, the authority that, that actually God lent to him. Mm. Because although God raises him up as king, first king of, uh, legitimate king of Israel, mm. um, God makes it very clear that God is still to be the highest authority. Yes. Um, although he is anointed king, he still has to wait for Samuel. Yes. Uh, and Samuel is not even high priest. No. Samuel is God's man. Prophet, yeah. Man, of, man the of God. He's man of God. He's not even really defined as prophet. He's the man of God. Yes. And so although King Saul has authority as king, and he's going to con- proceed to do what he wants, um, on several in several areas he's going to transgress and overstep um, God makes it very clear even in during the reign of King David that he is still the one with the highest authority yes. if he wants to send a prophet to rebuke King David he's going he's to do going that, to do that yeah. King David understands this well even if you look at an, in the line of the kings um, even to the very last both the kings of Israel and Judah I mean, that was the, the great transgression. Yes, it manifested as idol worship, but it was that theme of, of the king no longer seeing Yahweh as the highest authority. If they mm. were going to go to battle and they were going to win, it was going to be because Yahweh would go before them, would grant them victory. Um, and so, so we see that thing magnified during all of the line of the kings. Mm. These two characters, actually, Saul and David, very clearly portray certain aspects that we can learn from. Mm. Um, the one very clearly becomes that that usurper authority, the false authority. Mm. The one that would continue mm. in that which God has given him after, even after the, the, the Spirit of God is taken from him. Yeah. And this isn't even... Because the, the initial call was, was legit... Yep. It was legitimate. God anointed him. Yeah. Um, And and although King David makes mistakes, he's the other side of the story, the other balance, in that he's seeking God actively. He's personally seeking God. Mm -hmm. One of the mistakes or the significant things that happens in in these stories or the script is that... um, the Israelites themselves mm. would use the Ark of the Covenant mm. as a magical weapon. Yes. Not not no. not seeking God, not no. remembering who God is, not as understanding a, as a supernatural that, guarantee. Uh, yeah. Mm. Not understanding that this Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God, the word of God, the will of God. Yeah. That's why it's all powerful, but they bring that onto the battlefield as an object. A religious object, and they, with the sense of the the sense you get is one of. It can be used by them for their purposes. If they decide to bring the ark, then they must have the outcome they want. See, this is very important because this is the attitudes that we've got to watch out for, is, because they have. A covenant with God, and Yahweh is the God of Israel. They now have the right. 
to demand from him. And they think, and, and people today even, we can, we, we, we're in danger of thinking that if I do certain things right, I deserve a res- certain response from God. Now, in these stories, we, it's very clear mm. that the God that makes covenant He's, he's not saying you now have the right to some response from my side. You come with your request. And we do see it's not that he's, this doesn't take any or anything away from his love and the fact that he does respond because the story starts with Hannah mm. coming in an attitude of covenant and servitude and and bringing her petitions to the Lord, and the Lord does mm. hear her. But there's, there's, but there's, there's humility, yes. there's contrite spirit, and um, she's bringing this request, and it's granted because it's within the specific exactly. will of God. Exactly, exactly, and I think that's really the pivotal part of this. That's right. Now, this does not give evidence that Every barren woman that calls out to God in a specific way has to receive a child. Because Hannah, her life and her story and her, everything about this has to do with God's perfect will. Yes. Even granting her, her request is part of his perfect his purposes and his perfect will. Yes. There's no way that we can now say that it was because she had done something wrong mm-hmm. that the womb is closed, closed in the first place, yeah. although we do see with um, with King David's first wife mm, see that's another story here her womb was closed for the for God's purposes and because of prophetic unfolding but with with legitimately his first wife he he rejects her because she does not honor. She she doesn't honor him. She doesn't understand God's purposes, God's ways. She does. She she's thinking about herself, her pride, her position, and he puts her out of her his heart. And and here, the fact that she's not having children mm. is the other yeah, form the other of, of God's. Yeah. It's it's just a side note, but it's interesting. Uh, the, the lesson we want to learn here is that we do not come to God and say, because I'm doing the mm. steps right, mm. I have a right to an outcome. Never yes. make that mistake. Yes. Because then automatically that would mean that God is now subject to our righteousness, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and we're not going to question the fact that God does not punish some people's inequity. Or doesn't reward others' righteous deeds. You see, it's it's the prerogative of God. It's God yeah. acting in a certain way. The fact is that Samuel made the same mistakes Eli. Um, you could argue that his positions were different and so forth. But there is an aspect to Samuel's life prophetically yes. that we will look at and in we will the look last at Sunday. That, yeah. Okay. So but where are we going now? So now. We're going to take a bit of a, a walk through, through Samuel's life and the events that we do see in his mm. life and, and kind of explore the, the person, the heart, the character of Samuel um, that all pulls back to the moment when, when he, he answers the call of God. 
and look at that, the, the man that God decided to, to place on earth during a time such mm. as this. Um, I just want to highlight, before we move on, take note that although Samuel gives Eli the word and another man of God brought Eli the word, it's, it doesn't come into effect straight away. Yes. Um, Eli continues to be the, the high priest. These two sons continue to be priests. Um, and they actually go with the Ark of the Covenant uh, into war. And they're the ones that brings the Ark of the Covenant as an object of power. They're going like, we the priests, we're going to come save the day. And, <laughs> and they don't. Mm. Um, and, and it's only later that the two sons are killed and Eli falls over. Well, he's 98 years old. Okay, So yeah, the judgment doesn't really you know, come as a young man. His judgment still comes. Mm. But, but God still lets him live very long. And then uh, one of his, his, his bloodline still continues as high priest. Yes. And um, yeah, it's only, it's only with later. Solomon, yeah. yeah. So this is just um, an interesting little fact to get the storyline right. Yeah. Okay, so now... So now we're going to um, look a bit at the life of Samuel. Before we go there, I just want to link it back again to, to Eli and to those initial moments or the, the initial God event. Um, and ju- I'd just like to, to, to focus our attention on the fact that um, we said that that initial response, the fact that, that Samuel actually continues with the Lord is that that predestined identity, mm. the seed that he carries. Mm. But we even see this um, manifested in the fact that Eli acknowledges the authority that that God has placed on this boy that he's raising up. Mm. I mean, he could have, by every right, been like, I'm the judge, I'm the high priest, I will not listen to a boy. And yet we see that he acknowledges it as truth, he acknowledges it as the word of God. Now, obviously, after that, he's going to continue to raise Samuel in the position mm. that he has to fill. He's going to continue to train him. But mm. we see that the point that I'm trying to make is that that we see that that response from Samuel is not only just... We don't only see that from, from Samuel's response and continuing with, with, with the Lord... We actually see this predestination image being pulled back by mm. Eli's response mm. to to the authority that this mm. boy already carries because of who he's going to be in the future. Mm. And so let's look a bit at that. So now we're going to do a nice and slow walk through the, some of these events in, in Samuel's life. So the first thing that that Samuel actually does as judge and we're not exactly sure about the timeline here, but there comes a day when when Samuel calls the nation of Israel to him and he says to, and he says to them, put away the idols. It's time to turn back to God. And this is the, his first action. So he's already been established as a prophet by God because it says so in chapter end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4. But then we see here in chapter 7 that... Um, the heading actually says Samuel judges Israel. And this is where he first comes and he, he calls the entire nation back to the ways of God. Says it's time. Put away the idols. We need to serve God. And then it goes immediately from there to chapter 8. And it says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old. 
And I think this is so interesting because somehow it skips from Samuel being established as a prophet, calling the nation of Israel back to, to God, and then when he is old, they demand a king. Mm. And it feels like it's such a, it's such a fast forward mm. through this magnificent man's life, and yet we're still going to, his character is not hidden from us. There's still mm. records of who he was and why, why there's such an esteem to, mm. to this character. I think um, despite the very significant incidents, mm. um, and it's very difficult to actually get timelines because it, it would look like they're talking about 20 years after, but it's actually could be that during this 20-year mm. period. Yes. Um, no, so uh, definitely. So we don't know when when it is that he judges, and, and it says he judged Israel all, mm. all, all till the day that he died. Exactly. Um, but what I mean is it could have been 50 years that he judged Israel, and then all of a sudden it just skips to the end. <laughs> but what we do know is that um, the life of Samuel would have been, he would follow a yearly yes. circular route to judge the people. Yes. And we know that he lived in Ramah. So actually, the end of chapter 7 from verse 15, it says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So the interesting life, there's a high priest in the mm. tabernacle. So there's a high priest yeah. function. Yes. But he's the judge. And it, it would seem that nobody officially appoints him. No. God just <laughs> sets him up, his words become true, and he's the judge. That's yeah. what he does. Yeah. And um, he would live this lifestyle of, so for, for the period where he judged the people and turned them back to God getting them to forsake their idol worship. Mm. He would also follow a circular route. Yes. Um, pretty much like the picture we had of Abraham going mm. from one uh, altar to the next altar. And Isaac as well. And um, so, so he, we'll go into that a bit later, but let's see where that virtue comes out mm. in the significant incidents. Yes. Let's look at that. What does that look like? So the first uh, glimpse we get of that virtue. <clears throat> so we, I want to define virtue quickly. So yes, again, yes, yes, yes. So see, we spoke about that. The Bible, the King James says that virtue went out of Yahushua. Yes. And healed. The woman that touched. Other transla translations said power went out from yeah. him. The worst is message says energy went out from him. <laughs> it's because it's new message, age. new age. Junk, but anyways, so the message is not the word of God, it is the perversion of Satan. So, as if you wanted, wondered about the message, yeah, the best thing that you can do with it, as if it was worth using as toilet paper, do it. Um, so, anyways, the <laughs> virtue, yeah, that we see is. Uh, Virtue as the substance in uh, the virtue in Elijah comes out in a righteous anger and a righteous disposition mm. where he calls fire down from heaven mm. and stops it from raining. 
the virtue. <coughs> so it's not a prophetic power. Mm. It's not a, the power of a king. It's not the power of the high priest. It's a virtue. It's a substance yes. that is... We, today we tend to call it anointing. True. We tend to call it anointing. True. But it's virtue actually. Yeah, like the virtue in action. Mm. And, and in Elisha we see it in powerful deeds and powerful words. And we see this same virtue in a different form coming out of uh, Samson. Mm. In, in physical might. But here we see his first act of virtue being obedient and speaking what he should speak. Yes. This is the first act of virtue. And this is enough for God to release him into yes. his destiny and his mandate and his office. Yes. So enough. Just the virtue has to be adhered to and honored. Mm. But now the virtue comes out in different forms in him as well. So can we look at that? So let's look at that. We're just going to go chronologically through the events. So the first is chapter 8 where the people ask for, for a king. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 8 because we've read up until verse 5. So we're going to read from verse 6. So they asked for a king, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day. Okay, skip that. Verse 9. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told, told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And so now he goes and he tells them everything that will happen. They hear everything and they say, no, but we insist a king, a king for us. And then we know the whole story goes where Saul is chosen to be king. And so let's just look at one or two of the aspects in this story of Samuel and Saul meeting each other because there's also important information mm. hidden here. Mm. Um, so we know the story. Saul's father, Kish, his donkeys go missing, so he and his servant go out to serve for the, search for the donkeys. Now they get tired. So we pick this up in chapter 9, verse 5. I'm going to read from the middle. Uh, the servant says to Saul, Come, let us return. Oh, Saul says to his servant, Sorry, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Hmm. And none of these two have met Samuel. And yet this is the, the reputation that the man Samuel has. Mm. Is that he's a man of God, an honorable man, and everything that he says comes to pass. And, and I think that's exquisite. Um, and because he's a judge, interestingly enough, this guy, mm. uh, it's, it seems okay to just go to this man. You've got to take him uh, a gift. Yes. But you can go ask this this man of God about donkeys. 
Yeah, where, where did our donkeys interesting. go? Interesting, just interesting. That yeah, it's, it's not, not for it's not weird. Elevated. Yeah, it's not for a big. Yeah, they don't just go to the prophet for the big things or just the yeah. you know extraordinary things. Yeah. Let's go for. We, we've lost our donkeys, so can can you tell us the way home? <laughs> Elders tremble when he approaches, <laughs> and yet the people is approachable enough. Yes. Available enough that the people will go to him Definitely. when they need answers. This and, is and this we see here as well um, f- from verse 9. It says, um, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. This is also very important to understand what it says when Samuel was a prophet. It's not just the, the mighty deeds and the miracles that comes with a prophet, but it's the one who sees. Mm. Um, anyway, and and this becomes important because it it is extremely important prophetically. We'll get back to why this forms part of the prophetic image and message underlying all of this. Remember, in our um, mm. Peter equation, we said that all of this hinges on developing vision, seeing, and we're always speaking about us becoming a prophetic people. Because if we are seed and we're called, we similarly called to the callings of these unique characters. But uh, in our positioning as seed, we all called. Remember we spoke about the calling? Mm-hmm. And that calling is, we respond out of the virtue and it is faith. Mm-hmm. But we've got to understand that um, it goes together with a certain amount of vision. Mm. and understanding in this case because of also being a prophet (coughs) they become elevated images of uh, where where all of this is uh, very um, uh, concentrated uh, Mm. power virtue vision and so forth but it doesn't mean that we don't um, uh, respond to that with a certain amount of faith and hope that that should also be us as a body not individually yes um but so that that virtue also connects with seeing, not just the God reveals himself by, uh, by his word to him and he speaks to him, but the way that he served the people was was by vision. Yes. Very important to understand. Okay. Okay, so let's go from there now. Um, verse 11, just the way that they, they speak about him again. So from verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. See, and I think there's even, even the woman, like, I get the feeling of he can walk into the city and everyone's going to know, oh, that's him. Mm. But not in a, in a fearful way, but also mm. in an approachable way. They, they mm. know he is, he's, he's become familiar because mm. he's there. He comes around when he says he's going. He's there every year. Mm. Um, anyway, so uh, verse 13. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. See, even in that, I think, you know, there's such a respect. And he's not even a Levite. He's not even officially a priest. And yet the people are going to wait for him. Yeah. They will not do anything. He has to come first. Um, 
you mentioned earlier, it's the same kind of attitude that even he has when he has to go and anoint King David when, when they're waiting for the last son to come in. He says, well, we're not going to sit down until he comes. So not only is he respected and held in this high position, but he also has the humility <coughs> to, to take in the position of the lesser to wait for the greater. Kind That's of what's beautiful about Samuel, because... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the entire city, the elders, everybody else, they will not start to eat and, until mm-hmm. he's blessed the sacrifice. They'll wait for him. And um, I just see the similarity when uh, he says, is there another Sunday? I say, no, there's the younger son, David, and he's out uh, guarding the flock. And he says, well, go call him, mm-hmm. and we will not sit down until he arrives. And so he lets... King David's father and his older brothers, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that, mm. look, you know who I am, <laughs> the respect that I receive, I'm not going to sit down until this boy comes in. Um, so immediately he, he makes very clear, very, he communicates very clearly mm. the authority that is already um, coming down on King David. Definitely. Wow. And, and this is the same thing that God gives Samuel. Mm. It's this, he hasn't done anything yet. Mm. Um, but he, God establishes him according yes. to his own will. And Samuel understands this very, very mm. vividly and very clearly. So it's just kind of um, um, insinuated in the wording. But I think it's beautiful. Mm. Uh, then what? Then he's not always just a nice guy, is he? No, 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 no. Um... <clears throat> so we're going to skip ahead a little bit in the story. Um, where Saul is re- rejected as king. Now we know, okay, so first of all we see that, that um, Saul brings the unlawful sacrifice. Where Samuel also first, you know, remember Samuel is late. Although prophets never late. <laughs> uh, Samuel is late. Saul gets nervous so he does the sacrifice and Samuel rebukes him. So we see that that Samuel does move in that kind of authority. Also, good place to add is the fact that even though Samuel isn't officially a priest, Saul is not allowed to do anything without him being present. He cannot bring the sacrifice. It's not like there's even another priest is going to bring the sacrifice. They have to wait for Samuel, the man of God, the judge of God. Which is significant. We understand that he was a judge, but there is a high priest. There's a high priest who's, who's appointed for this kind of service. To bring a sacrifice. That's, that's the priestly thing to do. And yet Samuel is the man. Nowhere is Samuel officially appointed as anything. Mm. <laughs> Which is very cool. Okay. Okay so, um, okay, so we see that. But then we see in chapter 16. And this is, this is one of the high points, I think. For, okay, but, for, but first yes. of all, so the king has to wait for him. So the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, has to wait for the man who hasn't officially been appointed <laughs> in, and, in and, that uh, sense, in, uh, in fairness, an official... In all fairness, he is old, so he's on his way. And then when he comes, he rebukes the king. Yes, before all the people. Yeah, he's, he's, he's rebuking him. And um, he's going to go further. Now, he's not a young man. No. Remember. Okay, now... What's he going to do? I love this. this now this. the next, because, okay, so, so we're looking at, at, at Saul's mistakes, but we're, we're focusing on, on <coughs> the role that Samuel has to play, the part that Samuel has to play. So we know 
Um, God doesn't actually reject Saul with the unlawful sacrifice. Later on, there's another event where God gives direct instruction that Saul is to kill uh, King Agag, who is an Amalekite. Mm. Yes, an Amalekite. And he's supposed to kill the king and all the men and all the livestock and everything, destroy everything. Saul doesn't do that. He keeps the king alive. They take some of the people as slaves and they keep some of the, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the best, they keep as a booty for the mm. people. We pick it up at chapter 15 from verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Then we know that he rises early, goes to Saul and Saul says, I've done everything as the Lord has said. And Samuel says to him, verse um, 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? So now Samuel basically relays to Saul all the, the judgment that the Lord has, has made against Saul. Um, but now here, let's pick it up in verse 24 again. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me. Now, this is right after Samuel has said to Saul that God has rejected him, basically. He says, now please, um, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. That kind of gives me a bit of shivers every time mm. I read that. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I've sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, this is where it picks up, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Now this is much after the people have said to him, Listen, you're getting old and we need a king. An old man has just come, rebuked the king, told him that the Lord has torn away the kingdom from him, and then he plucks out a sword and hacks the king of the Amalekites to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Hmm. So just the man, Samuel, the authority and the virtue that he is walking with. Um, we can see that he's meek at times, hmm. willing to be meek. 
willing to be humble and yet um, willing to act mm. decisively and strongly from that same place of virtue. Yes. Um, and then he mourns. He mourns. Straight after this, from verse 34, it says, Then Simon went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. And it, to such an extent, he mourns him to such an extent that the Lord eventually says to him, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? So we see that even in that, there's, it's not just that he's, his heart is hardened and he just does. There's a mourning. There's a, a real mm. compassion that he carries in him as well. So, so as far as authority is concerned, we're just going to look at another aspect of um, Samuel as, as a good example of, of that God called son of God. Mm. Uh, figure and, and I think we can learn no matter what the individual calling or purposes of God is no matter where God places a person we can all learn from the character but especially when what we get, glean from Samuel is that authority mm. so we see the authority as obedience mm. we see the authority as an aspect of um, meekness and humility of willingness. His authority comes from a willingness to do God's will. Yes. Whatever he, it is. He never assumes... Uh, you never get a sense that he assumes this this position. Mm. Although mm. he carries the authority. Yes. Never get the idea where, where King Saul, you can see King Saul takes his position that God has given him. Yes. But he takes it for himself. You never get that sense with Samuel... Mm. Um, so there's the continuing in the will of God, mm. continuing with the gifts that God gives him. Yes. Um, as a boy, he's willing to speak the truth to Eli, yet he doesn't now rebel against Eli, rebel against his calling, mm. continue steadfastly. This brings authority, that continuance aspect, the virtue but then um, we see the authority come out when he goes to a place, goes to people, they acknowledge who he is. Yes. Um, we see the authority come out when the people says they want the king and he doesn't agree, he doesn't like it, he still hears from God and he still does what God tells him to do. And he does it with devotion. Absolutely. He doesn't do it grumbling or says, I don't agree with this, but God told me to do this, so mm. I'm just going to do this, and it's not what I want to do, it's not, I don't agree. He doesn't. His heart changes immediately. You can see the way that he approaches it. Mm. He will do all the work and, 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 and formulate for them how they should <clears throat> um, relate to a king. He, he sees that it's not going to go well. He warns them. And um, there's another aspect to him. I think this puts him into stark contrast to the uh, uh, incident with Moses and Aaron where, where Moses makes his mistake. Because mm. this, is, this is the contrast. This uh, is so he has beautiful. this authority, 
this acceptance by the people, this love and uh, reverence that comes from the people. Mm. Well, let's look at his heart here in authority. So we know how the story goes. Ezra asks for a king. He's not chuffed with the idea. So he goes to God. God says to him, heed their voice. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Then he goes back, tells them everything that God had said, because God says, warn them about what this king will do. So he lays out everything before them. They say, no, they still want a king. And then it says, he, he heeded their voice. He sent them all home and he went back and relayed to the Lord everything that, that the people had said to him. Then after that, we see that he actually anoints Saul. He meets Saul, anoints him. And then Saul is proclaimed as king. And this is where it really turns very beautiful. Because as we mm. said initially, he's not chuffed with the idea. Because mm. he tells them, we'll see now. Um, but as far as Samuel is concerned, it's not just a sense of, the people have rejected him, but he understands that God is the sovereign authority. Mm. And to him, this feels like a rejection of God's rulership over the people. Um, but look at his heart. So first of all, Saul is proclaimed king. And then chapter 10, verse, uh, let's read from verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And I think that's, as a first action, just a note. He doesn't tell them, well, you wanted a king, so you figure out how you're going to do this. He's actually the one that writes for them in a book exactly how, how everyone has now to conduct mm. themselves. And I think this is such a such a beautiful mm. revelation of his heart toward the people. He may not um, agree with the course of action they've they've wanted or they've taken, but he's going to within their walk. He's going to still ensure that whatever they do, they do it to the best, mm. to the best of what they can do, and to mm. uh, to God's honor. Mm. And so after this. Um, we see there's Saul's inauguration and coronation. And this is quite a significant event because Samuel gathers all the people. They're going to now, um, you know, make Saul king officially. And, um, and then Samuel starts in this way, and I think it's beautiful. It says, chapter 12, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me, and I have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, and, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed, or from whom, from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us. Nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And I think this is such a great place. So he says, My whole life, since I've been a child, I've served you. Can you witness to that? And the people say, We witness. It's true. Mm. And I think it's so beautiful that the nation can actually witness to this man being mm. an honorable man from his childhood serving them. Mm. 
to the best of God's ways and mm. God's gift that he's given them. Then we know, it goes from there, and Samuel actually explains to them, he prophesies to them, he tells them that God was actually the sovereign power over them. He was the governing authority, and they, in what they did, actually rejected God in that they asked for a king. And then there's this whole thing where he causes a storm, and it says that the people actually feared um, feared God and Samuel that day. But mm. um, And then it says in verse, well, let's read verse 18 of chapter 12. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. But here's where it turns really, really mm. beautiful. And this, I feel, is like the epitome of Samuel's character as as judge, but father, shepherd, caretaker of the nation of Israel. Mm. He says to them, so it says, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside. For then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people, for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Mm. And then, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. But just those sure. two verses is so beautiful. His heart, his heart firstly comes out in the sense that what, when all is said and done, mm. he, is, he is the one thing where, where his attention is going to be, the one thing that he's going to... Um, Leave with them and speak to them about is serve the Lord. He's all about God and he's all about mm-hmm. God's people. And he's um, he says, "I'll still teach you. I'll teach you. I'll do. I'll do what I can." And and he says, and it's a very big lesson here. They say to all our wicked, wickedness, we've added this thing. And he says, "Yes, you've made mistakes and you've done wickedly." Uh, yes, you have not walked righteously. Yes, you. He's, he's not softening the blood. No. But he's saying that doesn't mean that you need to turn away from God. Don't, don't God. make that the excuse. In your mistakes, in your weakness, in your grave transgression, there will be consequences for them that they asked the king. Mm. But he, he says, no matter what mistake you made, Serve the Lord. And Continue. I also feel that he does it from a perspective of, you may have done all of this wickedness, but don't forget, God chose you as his people. And he chose so you for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Not no, for you, not because it. you're special. We all know you've made mistakes. So it's mm. not about you being great and you serving the Lord. Just serve the Lord. He's chosen you for his name's sake. You serve him. And then I think he also even takes the same kind of attitude for himself here. Because he starts out by saying to them, you know who I am, and mm. we all know the authority that I carry with you. And mm. then he ends the speech by saying, by actually going to them and saying, 
even with all the authority that I have, it's not for me. My my position that I carry is to serve you, mm. to teach you the way to serve the Lord. It's not about him. And like you say, it's all for Samuel, it's all about serving the Lord the way that he wants to be served. Mm. And I think this is um, probably the biggest lesson that we learn from Samuel's life is the authority that he walks with. Mm. And the heart that he has, but he understands that all that God does, this is his life's witness, all God does, God does for his own name's sake. God does what he does because this is what he has decided to do. It's his will. Samuel is born to be God's servant. The Spirit somehow leads um, his mother to fulfill God's will yes. by giving him as God's servant. Yes, he's, he's given to God. God doesn't just take him. God gives, and then out of what he has given, he receives Yes. That which he can use. And um, I think his life witness becomes a, a huge example for us to follow if we are called by God for any reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. God does what he does according to what he has decided. God makes it happen. God fulfills his will. Those that will not fulfill His will will be rejected by Him. But in the end of the day, God's will will be done, and He does it for His own name's sake. So, it would be in the light of this. These are not seemingly very big, big, deep um, teachings, but it's the kind of uh, biblical... Uh, experience that, that, that takes us to a place where we meditate upon our place in that picture, our place. It's not about the big things or the small things. It's not about um, anything else. Nobody appointed him. He just acted on God's will. And that's, that's it. And God does what God does. And so when it comes to election and destiny and predestination, I think this is this helps us to understand how to deal with that. Make your calling a big deal and you will fail. Yes. Walk your calling out, seeking to honor God and obey God, and you will increase. Out of that place of virtue, you'll increase in favor with God and man. And um, it will, like this, didn't lead him to become the greatest leader of his time. He had to appoint the leaders. Yeah, <clears throat> and then the story ends that he died. He died. Yeah, and I think this helps us to understand our lives, and our callings, and our, the purposes of God mm. in our lives. We start making our callings a big deal. Yeah, and it will go really badly. Think. It will go badly. Um, King Saul ended up being afflicted having an afflicted spirit because he wanted to make his calling God's will for his life a big deal. And he failed. That's it. Okay, that's amen for now and the big prophetic revelations will come next week. Be excited. (laughs) Bye-bye.